Hello, and welcome to Structured Finance in Focus, a Fitch Ratings podcast that takes an in-depth look at the latest developments across the global ABS, RABS, CMBS, CLOs, and more. My name is Ben McCarthy. I'm Managing Director at Fitch Ratings and head up the analytical team for Asia-Pacific for Structured Finance. On today's show, I'll be discussing Australian Structured Finance with Natasha Voivodich. Natasha is a Senior Director at Fitch and heads up our team covering Australia and New Zealand Structured Finance. Thanks for joining me today, Natasha. You're welcome. Natasha, you and the team have done extensive outreach during the year, speaking to investors all over the globe. I thought today we might touch on some of the main questions they've asked and give an update on the current status of Australian structured finance. We're going to start with the assumption that listeners have a familiarity with Australian structured finance and the recent performance. For those that are not that familiar, I recommend you read the latest Fitch Dinkum reports on both RMBS and ABS that are available on FitchRatings.com. Let's start with the performance. Uh, Natasha, performance in terms of delinquencies has slowly crept up over for both ABS and RMBS over the year. Where do you think the year will end in terms of delinquency performance? Current arrears across RMBS and ABS remain below pre-COVID levels. But by year end, we expect 30-day plus arrears for prime RMBS to be in the range of 1.2 to 1.3%, which is just above what we saw in 2019. We expect most of this increase to be in the late stage arrears. For non-conforming or mixed portfolios, the magnitude and the speed of the increase in arrears has been more significant due to the high level of self-employed and low documentation borrowers in those portfolios. And interest rates for these borrowers increase faster than the central bank increases. So by year-end, we expect 30-day plus arrears to be 35 to 4%. For auto ABS, our expectation for arrears is 1.3 to 1.4%, still considerably below pre-COVID levels of around the 2% mark. In terms of defaults, we do not expect a material deterioration, primarily due to near-record low unemployment. All right, and so with arrears still rising as we head towards the end of the year, at what level do you expect delinquencies to to peak or to settle? We expect arrears to continue to increase into next year, probably peaking in the second quarter. As based on our current indices, the impact of three rate rises are not included. That's with the assumption that there'll be another rate rise by the year end. This is based on there being a lagged effect of rate rises combined with a typical quarter one arrears increases due to the Christmas and holiday spending we see. Arrears may increase further if inflation persists and interest rates remain higher for longer, rather than the cuts starting in the second half of next year. One of the other key questions from investors around the world has been in relation to our property prices in Australia, which have been up and down over the past few years. What's Fitch's expectation for 2024? Our expectation is that property price growth will moderate to around 5% due to demand and supply mismatch. The number of listings, while having increased in the second half of this year, remains significantly below the five-year average. Strong population growth from net migration this year, while expecting to slow, will still be higher than the construction completions. Affordability constraints will also impact demand. The risk is more to the downside. Listings could increase, but there might not be enough demand to meet it on higher property prices together with higher interest rates. means affordability constraints demand. Uh, thanks for that. And we're seeing, in terms of the market mix, we're seeing bank RMBS issuance start to emerge in late 2023. Um, the question is why, and then how do major bank deals differ from non-bank transactions? 
So banks were able to tap into cheap central bank funding over COVID and they did so in a big way. So there was very little bank RMBS issuance in the last three years. That funding has now started to mature, so banks are coming back to the RMBS market, as well as issuing cover bonds by those with cover bond programs. And the differences between major bank and non-bank transactions in terms of asset portfolios typically include lower weighted average current LBR, they have longer loan seasoning, lower average loan balance, less interest earning and less self-employed borrowers. And major bank structures are now typically a simple AB fully sequential pay structure with significant credit enhancement buffer to features modelled portfolio loss, meaning that they cash flow model very strongly, not very sensitive to increased defaults or reduced recoveries. Does that explain the difference in the performance between banks and non-banks or is there a difference in performance? Um, before the global financial crisis, there was a significant difference between bank and non-bank performance, with non-bank arrears being materially higher. But there has been very little difference or less of a difference over the last 10 years or so. The main reason for this is that most prime non-bank products and underwriting have aligned more closely with those of the banks. And looking specifically at performance since the interest rate rises began last year, arrears for non-banks showed a steeper increase from October last year before flattening out in January. And this was due to some non-banks passing on rate rises to borrowers above the central bank increases. Okay, and just moving on to the sort of the future, we get a lot of questions around early indicators or any indicators of portfolio credit deterioration. What does Fitch look at as early indicators of portfolio credit deterioration for Australia and New Zealand? We look at early stage arrears. If they are continuing to increase that means that new borrowers are going into arrears and a proportion of those will continue through to late stage arrears and then potentially the default. We also look at how 90 day plus arrears evolve. If they remain elevated for longer without new arrears coming through, and then this means that the properties are not selling or not selling as fast as they can, which then can increase the likelihood of losses, especially if property prices are falling. And obviously we're looking at whether unemployment is increasing. In terms of macro, um, if, if we're just looking at one indicator, what would you recommend investors look at? I would say early stage arrears and how they evolve over time for the reasons I've mentioned. I'm just going to finish off just around structural developments, if there's been any structural developments that investors should be aware of in the market. Um, some non-banks have been moving their call dates, whether it be a date-based or a percentage. Um, during COVID, some transaction call dates were earlier as note margins were higher, so the transactions could be refinanced earlier at a potentially lower margin. This is now reverting back to the later calls seen before COVID. Looking broader, while not being a recent change, some non-bank transactions split note coupon for the notes below ASF after the call date, so there is a portion of coupon which is paid subordinated to losses. Okay, we might leave it there. Thanks very much for your insights, Natasha. You've been listening to Fitch Ratings Structured Finance in Focus podcast. Uh, to learn more about ratings and research in Fitch Structured Finance or to access the Dinkum reports that I referenced earlier, please visit us at fitchratings.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.